just now my mom found an old iPhone 6 of hers that had old photos that she wanted to transfer over. So she wanted to connect to my house Wi-Fi. Mm. And I kept inputting in the password and I thought I forgot the password, right? Mm-hmm. I even logged out of the Wi-Fi on my own phone and keyed in to check whether the password was correct. And it was correct. And you know, iOS has this feature where you can share passwords with like your contacts, right? If the phone is nearby. Yes. So that feature did not work from my mom's current phone to her old phone. And it also didn't work from my phone to her old phone. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess that phone is <laughs> I think like the older iPhones, right? There's a certain limit to what version it can update to. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, right, it's like, well, the Wild West already. It will not protect you from privacy attacks or whatever, you know. But still, I think it went quite a long way. Because mm-hmm. my mom's phone is the iPhone 6S, mm. 6S Plus, I think. And it was on iOS 12. I think it's, now it's on, we are on what, iOS 13 or 14? I think it's 14. I'm still on 13. But... So you know the very, very, very first iPhone, that iPhone 3G, Mm-hmm. They only allow you to update to like version 8, iOS 8 or 9. Mm-hmm. So as you know, apps like Facebook and yep. WhatsApp, they stop supporting the older versions. So you cannot use all these apps once they face out the support for the previous versions. Ah. You, you have an iPhone 3G? Um, Remember what my dad does? <laughs> he, sells, he sells secondhand phones. So at, at one right. point, I was like, okay, pa, you must tell your customers that, you know, this phone is too old. You should mm-hmm. go and get the newer versions. Right, dude. But 3G was like 2008. Like when was he selling that phone? <laughs> Probably like three, four years after. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because oh, three... basically, <laughs> we sign up the phone via Starhub's plan. Mm-hmm. And then we use it for two years. When it mm-hmm. was time to renew, we pass it to him and he sells it away. What year do you renew the thing? So let's say I got it in 20... 2008. Mm-hmm. So after two years, it's 2010. Ma. So we, we, mm. we pass it to him that he sell. Oh, okay. Okay, la, free inventory for him. Yeah. Yeah, but um, the longevity of iOS nowadays is still not bad, I, I feel. Like 6S only stopped receiving the updates l- last year and the 6S came out in, what, 2015? Mm. I never had an Android phone that lasted more than a year and a half, to be honest. Either something spoiled or it, by the time you hit the second year, right, then... Um, you know, you're not going to get the updates anymore. Oh, it slows down, right? Yeah, it, it slows down very badly. Something like Windows laptops of about 9, 10 years ago, you have them for like a year, right? And then after that, they just become like unbearably slow. I don't know if it's like some old people, they think like, okay, actually, you know why they slow down so much? It's because the manufacturers want you to buy a newer version. That's why mm. everything slows down after one or two years. And it's after the warranty expires. Right, right. And then it will slow down. I mean, mm. sometimes there is some truth in that. Lah. You know how they're uh, going to make more money, right? If you're used to their system. Actually, that was about the time where I decided to try out a MacBook instead of a Windows laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially because I was also moving on to university. So I was starting from a blank slate, right? Mm. So I'm like, ah, screw it. Lah. Let me just throw 2 plus K at a MacBook instead and see how it goes. And the MacBook is here with me right now and it still works. I updated it to like Big Sur, I think about two months ago. Mm. Still works, man. It's a bit slow, but the fact that eight years later, it's still working just astounds me. I think I read this article that says, okay, yes, Android, you can customize it to your needs. It has many functions, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, 
mm. Apple products work. Uh, whatever you install on your Mac, it will still work. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why people buy a Mac because you don't re- usually get viruses on it, right? Yeah, pretty much, I think. Um, I think there are viruses for Mac now because they are way more mainstream than they used to be. But I want to ask, have you ever had an Android phone? I used one, but not very... It's not my main phone. So my mom, she wanted to recontract, but with a $0 phone. Mm. And I, like we use it to take pictures on trips, I guess. Did it have a good camera? What, what model was it? Galaxy S6, I think. Okay, fair enough. It had a competitive camera at the time. Yeah. But back to your point about stuff just working on the Apple hardware, like whether it's iPhone or Mac, sorry versus non-Apple stuff, which is Android or Windows. Like, so when I had an Android phone, I had the HTC One. Mm. And a lot of times, I would want to do something on it. And I would Google how to do it. And often, they would tell me, okay, you need to root your phone. You need to install this thing. And you need to, like, basically void your warranty. And then you'll be able to, you know, run this custom program that we've developed. And then you can do the thing. Oh, so there isn't an official way to do it. You only can do it the other way, right? I, I can't remember what. The, when I finally switched over to an iPhone in 2015, right? So I would search like, okay, how do I do this on my iPhone, you know? Like uh, maybe, I don't know, I transfer a, a file from something, from one folder to my laptop or something like that. And then there's always a way to do it on iOS. You just pay for an app. It's like, like 3 to $5 app, but it works perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And since then... My decision making has always been like, is uh, three to five dollars worth my time and anguish trying to flash my my phone operating system? And usually the answer is yes, just by the app. Yeah. Yep. Or you know sometimes they have a trial version of it. After, do you really need to use it for like a extended duration or not? Mm-mm-mm. But usually it's not the case. You need it for like one or two times, and then your problem solved, and then you just delete the app. Very clean and smooth process rather than rooting your phone. Waste time doing that. Yeah. Do you have an app that you can't live without right now? Spotify? Spotify, okay. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, For me, one thing that I really, really, really cannot live without on my phone is uh, 1Password. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so 1Password is this password manager that I've been using for about coming to six years now. I don't have to remember all my passwords. Right? All my passwords are like what, 22, 26 digits long. And I use currently Touch ID to access them. It's a real, real lifesaver because, you know, even if it's not secure, right? The fact that I don't have to rack my brains trying to remember my passwords for each account or store all of them in a non-secure way, like maybe in a file on my computer or in a notebook somewhere, I think it pretty much justifies the price that I pay for it. Apple has its own password remembering software. I don't know if it's secure or whatever, but basically I just use it to log in into Apple Store for different regions. Mm. But that's about my usage of that app. Mm, right. Yeah. But what if you need the exact password you know, to type it out on your computer, for example? Are you just going to refer it from your phone and then just type it out? So 1Password synchronizes on your mobile device and also your desktop software. There's a Windows version and a Mac version, so it's synchronized. And you actually can have it on Google Chrome extension. 
so the Chrome extension links to your desktop software, and then um, it will automatically populate the username and password fields. Like they'll you'll try to do it intelligently. Uh. Sometimes if you know if you have like more than one Gmail account, you gotta kind of do some manual clicking. But the worst you have to do is just right-click, copy password, and then paste it in. Oh, okay. That's very convenient. Costs about $70 a year. Oh, okay. Slightly yeah. pricey, but yeah. I get what you mean. $70 to free up some space in your brain. Dude, it's $70 to not have to stop at a gate every time I want to access a service. Like, I just breeze through the whole process. Man. What do you think if it gets compromised? You... You probably need to... Okay, what's the priority here? Do you have to change all your passwords first? Or do you have to move first? Like, what do you think? Like, Okay, kind of um, depending on what kind of passwords you have on the password manager, do you save mm -hmm. your bank account passwords on those? No. Um, so, my bank account pins are all six digits as per the mm -hmm. banks I use. And I have them memorized. But then, a lot of these iBanking apps, you can't access or do anything meaningful without a 2FA anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fine. Then I guess the next priority will be your emails, your work passwords, I guess. So if you memorize your bank account passwords already, then I guess everything else can be on the password manager. Lah. Yeah, Um, you just reminded me that the email address is one of the, my biggest weak points. Because I don't memorize the password to my email address, right? I just log in with the password manager. Although I do have my phone number and a 2FA to help reset if anything goes wrong. But once you lose access to your email account, then you kind of lose access to... Everything. Yeah, you don't lose access to everything immediately, but you lose access for the ability for you to reset your passwords. Yeah, it depends on how severely compromised your email account is la. Mm. If, if your phone number and password both got leaked, then yeah, you're sort of <laughs> You don't really know how much time you truly have to go and salvage the situation and everything. But now that you've mentioned it, I'll probably try to secure my email address first, like change that password first. And then for the rest, I will get to a new password manager and then I will slowly reset one by one. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, but it's tiring. Let me see how, much, how many entries I have. From my one password. Okay, dude, I have 169 login accounts on my one password. Holy shit. It has everything from my Steam to this Russian BitTorrent site, which I signed up for to download anime, <laughs> to Facebook, which I don't even use anymore, to Starbucks Japan. When I was living in Japan, and then I had to sign up for an account so I could use this Starbucks card that my friend gave me. I didn't know they have accounts for Starbucks. Wait, I, I am not I don't frequent Starbucks very often, but do you need to create a, an account for Singapore's Starbucks? I think so, because how it works okay, I need to preface this. The last time I went to a Starbucks and bought a drink was probably at least a year and a half ago. But based on what I understand, you probably have to have an app and sign up for an account. And then whatever transactions, right? As long as you identify yourself at the counter through the app or they may need to scan a, like a QR or something off the app, then you get double the number of points as opposed to if you were just paying for the drink or if you were just redeeming a Starbucks card. And I think that if you buy a Starbucks card, 
and show the ad, then you all that money also goes into points to your Starbucks account. Yeah, I just went to see the Starbucks website. Yeah, you have to create an account. But it makes sense because they want to also kind of track your drinking behavior, right? Ah, I yes. don't know how much Starbucks one could possibly drink in a month, but there are some people who will drink it, you know, every other day or every almost, day. Or every day. Do you know that there is a very famous bank in Singapore where they have an in-house Starbucks? Mm. So it's something like an in-house McDonald's, right? Where it's slightly cheaper. So they have an in-house Starbucks for all the bank staff to go there. And I think it's something like 10 or 20% cheaper. Like when libraries used to have like the cafe there, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be cheaper by a bit. Right, right now... When was the last time you ever went to a library? Huh. Does being outside count? <laughs> no. What? Uh, no, no, no. I, I was outside taking photos of Boogie's Junction. Oh, right. Yeah, for your work, right? Yeah, I see. Yeah. I haven't been to the library in like forever. Ever since someone told me that you can access the NLB ebook archive through either the NLB app or the Overdrive app, I'm like, dude, I don't even want to bother going to the library to pick up a book. I just read off my phone. So convenient. Yeah, and you don't have to do the routine of borrowing a book, finish a book, return a book, and not pay late fines anymore. The returning is the hardest part, right? Because you have to make your way down there just to return. Unless you're the kind that you have to find a- another book since you're already there. But you can just chuck it to any nearby library in your area. What? You don't have to go back to the exact same one. Yeah, but I assume that you're going to the same branch to find your books. Yeah, I guess they will frequent the library that's near their area. Mm. Oh, there used to be a library here, but I think it shut down already. The Bukit Merah Library? Oh, right. It moved to Vivo City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. I actually know this because of my work at the PR company some years ago. Ah. Uh, I was monitoring related articles and I found out, oh, that Bukit Merah Library was relocating to Vivo City. And there was actually some sort of protest by some library goers because the cost of rental at Vivo City is like way higher than that building at Bukit Merah, right? It is a shopping mall, mm. right? I, I don't know what, what was going on in their head when they wanted to ship it there. Maybe because they have an MRT station over there. Mm. So they will receive more footfall mm-hmm. compared to Bukit Merah, which isn't near any MRT at all. So only the surrounding residents would be able to access that library most of the time. Good point though. But I wonder what the metrics for success are for a library. Do you just want a lot of people to visit the library and borrow a lot of books? Because if that happens, right, then that library becomes increasingly more costly to operate. Like you got to clean more, you got to buy more books for that library. So I I don't know, like what goes into the decision of operating and financing a library? Yeah, I think people used to joke that how a library earns money is through fines. Mm -hmm. But I do not know the exact operation of the library. I've never paid a fine before. Oh, I had a pretty massive fine before. And I think I I just ignored it and then it magically disappeared. (laughs) Are you kidding? How long do you ignore it for? I think three or four months. Because you, even oh, okay. though you have a fine tag to your account, right, you can still continue borrowing books. Just that they will just hmm. periodically send you a letter reminding you that, hey, you got a fine here. It's not like they send a tar along to kind of chase you, right? It's just a letter, right? But then they risk losing more books to you. Yeah, I was a small kid then. 
So, and oh, I was yeah. living in Marine Parade. So, so the library was on the way to school. Yeah. So that's when I frequent the library. But after finishing primary school, then I think I visited the library lesser. There are some people who visit library a lot. Right? Like you can see on their social media, they post that they're going to the library and stuff like that. And then there are other people who just like go to bookstores and straight up buy the books. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a demographic difference. So I'm not really sure, right? But I'm not sure if the way you search for books to read in a library is the same as if you were to look for books in a bookstore. Mm. Right? Because for the library, the cost of borrowing is free. Whereas for a bookstore, you have to pay like, what, $7 million to get a copy of a, a, copy of a book. <laughs> so uh, for people who visit libraries, usually they do not know what book they are going to be looking for, usually. Mm. And then mm. they go to a library they look around and then they find a book by chance. Mm. Whereas for bookstores, I think right now, most of the time, people already know what they want to get. Mm. And then they go to the bookstore and then they buy. So I guess that's the difference. Uh, one is a surprising discovery and the other one is a, what you might call it? It's like a hype train. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's... okay, the book is in. Time to go and get it, right? Yeah, it confuses me sometimes because people kind of hype up books before they are launched, right? I think the latest one was the Obama autobiography or something. I swear people had been talking about that book for a good four or five months. Like maybe there's nothing to do during COVID or something. But sometime during August National Day, there was like chatter on my social media about that book being published. And I was shocked sometime in, I think, late November, early December. I think I walked past Kinokuniya and then it was just launched. I was like, wait, didn't this happen like a few months ago? And it screwed up my sense of time even more than a circuit breaker did. Huh. Were there long queues outside the Kinokuniya? No, there wasn't long queues, but the book had its own display, like with multiple copies. And there were, I think like, what, three or four people kind of just standing around looking at it. But yeah, um, I'm not sure if they were there because, you know, Obama's face is so recognizable or they were there because they just wanted to confirm that that book felt like the book that they were waiting for. I'm, I'm not sure because I don't follow books that much. But, <laughs> but I'm reminded by the time when, you know, the mm -hmm. Half-Blood Prince, uh, Order of the Phoenix came out and then there were long queues for those books, right? When you say that people are talking about it for like three to four months before, I was already picturing like, oh, you know, the, the Harry Potter time where everybody had to get a queue number to redeem their book and even pre-order the book, right? Decade and a half ago. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's that long ago. And then there were any online systems to do it. It's all hard copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I have slight PTSD from queuing up for Deathly Hallows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't queue for Deathly Hallows. Oh, dude. What? I queued for Order of the Phoenix, mm -hmm. the Half-Blood Prince. And then I decided like, oh, yeah, you know what? The price is going to drop. Anyway, so I just, I can wait. I can afford to wait for the, for the ending. Okay, I guess, um, you know, spoiler culture wasn't that big on the internet yet. Or were you even on the internet at the time? Uh, of course. But, I mean, with the death of Dumbledore at the time. Shh, being... It's a non-spoiler podcast. <laughs> what else can be worse than that, right? So, so I'm like, okay, Dumbledore is dead. I can wait to see how it plays out in the end, you know? It's pretty crazy because um, books are just another medium like movies or TV, right? 
don't know. Honestly, sometimes when I tell people I don't really read books, they will give me this weird stare. Like, dude, what, what the, like, what's wrong with you? you know? But then, I met someone recently who doesn't watch movies or TV. And I gave the exact same reaction. <laughs> do I know that person? Yeah, yeah, you do. You, you do. When people shut themselves out from one entire medium, we seem to be quite eager to judge them. But that could be because they don't enjoy the experience of consuming that media, right? For people who don't like movies, the, those weirdos, they probably find that, you know, it's too loud. Uh, there's too many things going on. And you're stuck in a, an area for hours. Yeah, oh my gosh. It's dark and it's dark, right? Yeah. Dark and cold. Whereas for me, I read almost exclusively non-fiction books. Mm. For fiction, I kind of appreciate it more if I can see the character, their body language, and their facial expressions. And that's not something that you can convey very elegantly through text without it being an extremely long, wordy text. Mm, yeah, makes sense. I remember when I told my colleagues that I don't watch Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, the f***? And then I see the memes where they said, mm-hmm. if you don't watch Game of Thrones, you are the 1%. And that 1% will keep reminding you that they don't watch Game of Thrones. And I think that's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you did you go around telling people that you don't watch Game of Thrones? Only when they bring it up. Oh, then okay, I'll go right. and say, hey, I don't watch it. Can y'all change the topic? Which is like all the time, dude. <laughs> yeah, because they will be... I mean, if they suddenly interrupt a flowing conversation with Game of Thrones, isn't it very rude? Yeah, I guess so. So so obviously, me being a bit irked, would want to clap back and say, hey, I don't watch Game of Thrones. All right? Right, right, yeah. I get it. I had kind of the opposite problem where I couldn't find enough people to talk about Game of Thrones with. <laughs> aside from my friends on Twitter. So I think when Game of Thrones was in season 3, I was in my first year of uni, right? So as it went on and on, I would try to talk to my friends about Game of Thrones and then they would tell me, oh no, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is on like HBO, you know? How can I be facing the exact same problem as when I was asking people about Naruto and Bleach (laughs) in secondary school? (laughs) How much more mainstream does something need to get? And... The moment of vindication I had was when I was on exchange and there was that Game of Thrones episode about Hodor. Uh-huh. Do you know about that? Uh, I think I saw a clip recently, like why Hodor only utters that word, right? Yeah, it's very relevant to something that we gotta do right now. Hodor! 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 Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So that episode aired, right? And then I went to uni the next day. And for some reason, my friend and I, we decided to just go to this rooftop terrace for lunch. It was just a whole bunch of maybe like 20, 30 international students. And everyone was screaming the three words, hold the door, hold the door. And then and everyone was groaning like, oh my goodness. And I was like, dude, are you serious right now? Like, It was probably, what, 11.30 a.m. in the morning. I only watched the episode 12 hours before that, you know. So to see everyone suddenly so into it, it was so surreal. Mm, I, I, I get that feeling. I think I experienced that once for anime, I guess, in mm. Afar. So you know Afar is Anime Festival Asia. Yep. 
I can't remember the exact moment the same experience you had happened. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Right, yeah. But man, internet has really helped the whole find the others imperative. Mm. Like, you are part of a tribe, right? And then you are separated from it and you have to go and find all the people from your tribe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess the tr- finding the tribe thing is very true. <laughs> like, I found a group of gamers through the internet and then we stuck together for like 10 years and we, we do various things together like snowboarding, diving. You all attending each other's weddings also, right? Yeah, we attended some weddings and proposals. Mm. I'm glad for the internet to find my people because I'm currently not in contact with any of my secondary school mates, NS mates and primary school mm. mates. So mm, mm. my main group of friends are from the internet. Dude, same. Like I don't speak to anyone from my primary school. I speak to one person from my secondary school. And uh, my JC classmates, I'm kind of like on and off with three of them. But for the most part, like I hang out with a lot of the people I met on the internet, specifically Twitter. And it was very strange because I had to explain to my other friends and family that I'm hanging out with these people I met on Twitter. These randos, right? <laughs> they just cannot wrap their head around it. I don't know if you had that with your family. Like, it, did they ever ask you like, hey, who are you hanging out with? That you have to say your gaming friends? Uh, Yeah, I, I guess my parents also gave me that, that look when I said like, oh, I'm going to meet my gaming friends. And, and then like, it had a hidden meaning. Like, you have real life friends. Uh. But these are real life friends. I've met them before, you know. So I, I don't know why they think like, because you met them online and eventually became friends, they are lesser than friends that you met through the more natural means, like school, mm. work. Who even makes friends with your colleagues? Yeah. I have like maybe one colleague that I'm kind of close to. Like I can talk about stuff other than work. But that's actually because my company is full of a lot of old people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but if you think about it, you know, you are not friends with what 99% of people you meet and get to know. Mm-hmm. So what's so surprising if someone has very few so-called real-life friends, right? But the few mix up in quality than in quantity. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd rather have this small group of mm-hmm. friends who play games with me than, than the big group of friends who are really shallow and I don't really know much about them. So this happened to me when I graduated uni in my mid-20s, right? I think in uni, because it's such a collaborative and social environment, you are high by friends with a lot of people. Yep. And I follow all these people on their social media, right? And so after I graduated, I saw the number of people that I spoke to on a regular basis taper off extremely quickly. So first it was, it probably went from something like 25 to 12 Ooh. within one year. Yeah, and it eventually dropped to about six by the second year. Okay. So right now, the number of uni people I communicate with is about nine. So it's gone back up because um, either I've reached out or they've reached out. And, uh, you, you know, sometimes I question whether nine is too big a number to be considered a quality friend, a good friend, right? It's, I'm splitting my attention mm. between nine people. So are they, are they my close mm. friends? Are they my BFFs? I guess it's also the amount of time you spend with them and the things you talk about. Lah. Usually I meet them about, on average, about once every two months. I know there are some people who 
they hang out with their friends they made in like poly or uni like once a week or once every two weeks or something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> I see them, I see their friends on the social media accounts so often, right? I feel like I know their friends. <laughs> I guess it's also how much you have in common. Uh. Like mm. if you can click with someone who understands you and have the same interests, I think it's quite okay to meet once a week. That's what you call a quality friend, I guess. I guess quality is also subjective because, you know, love languages and all, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure love languages are completely transferable to friendships. Yep. Minus the sex, whether you want to. <laughs> I don't judge, but if you do, but yeah. I do think that for me, time is a very good measurement of how close I am with a certain person. And most people don't come anywhere close to the once every two months level that I have with those nine people, right? But for other people, you know, once every two months like might be too little or they might find that they have to go out and like do stuff together when I'm kind of happy with just, you know, sitting and talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that too. It's also nice, like you, even if you meet them once every two months, mm. the, if the connection is still there, and then like you can still talk to them with no filter. In my point of view, it's considered a quality friend. Yeah. So recently, one of my quality friends has given birth. I, I reached out. I was like, hmm, hey, I, I want to chat and, you know, like see how you're doing. Mm-hmm. But then like you can see like slowly the priorities start shifting. Mm. So yeah, I guess that's inevitable uh, in life. You yeah. know, like when priorities shift, mm. who you consider as a quality friend, mm-hmm. that feeling might not be reciprocated Yeah, after a certain amount of time. Mm. And then like, I guess you have to accept it lah because mm. people's priorities change and it might be out of the blue. In this case, it's not on me, mm. but something huge happened, which is a baby. I'm sure your friend literally had her hands full. Yes, literally had. And then with COVID and all. Mm. It's not, possi- not possible to visit her. Yeah. Yeah, because her daughter's immunity is more important than me visiting her. But of course, I still drop her a text here and there, you know, mm. like to see if, if everything is all right. But yeah, I think we are still pretty okay. Eventually, we'll meet someday, you know, so no rush. Ah. Yeah, I think it's very important to also give your friends time to breathe and time for them to manage their tasks. Especially if you're like someone's manager like at work, right? If you can give your subordinate some time to breathe and get their stuff together, right? you should be able to give your friends some amount of allowance. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the uncomfortable truth that nobody is friends forever, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It is certainly a sad thing. But as you mentioned, people's priorities change. People grow apart. But that doesn't take away from the experience and shared memories you had together. Yep. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, we still have hopefully many years left in our lives. And in those years of our, in our lives, we will meet more of new friends and they will be a part of our lives. Watch him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but dude, think about it, right? There are people in their forties and fifties who make friends with people in their twenties. Shit, that's us. That's with us. Kim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think no, you know what? I even consider my Japanese teacher my friend. All that she knows about me, right? Yeah, she's definitely I could definitely consider her a slightly closer than an average friend. Mm. But yeah, I think most important thing is to keep an open mind and you know, 
talk to the people that you like and if people want to walk away just let them do it yeah right okay I think this is a good time to end the podcast so today we had Sun Jie with us follow us on our social media TikTok Twitter Instagram at BTHPodSG or BTHPodcastSG look for our logo bye apes together strong Okay, side a bit. If you, are you buying if it hits one fifty today? I need to... We need to get ready soon, eh? I know, I know.